Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. do come to the time in our worship in which we hear God's word read and we center ourselves on that. And so we invite you to, to stand if you're able, if you're watching at home, we invite you to turn your attention to, to God's word. It comes from Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 and um, this finishes our, our series on Jonah. I want you to especially pay close attention to how Jonah, how this book ends because it ends in a very strange way um, in my opinion. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster." Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and say, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray that your truth, your word, your wisdom, and Lord, your heart for each and every one of us would be made known today, that we may grow in love for ourselves and for our neighbors for Nineveh, and for the entire world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Every once in a while, I'll see some uh, sort of a, on Facebook, there's these line of, of memes about um, reasons why kids are, are angry. And so I pulled a few of those um, for, for us today. Um, this kid is upset because a microwave ate his lunch, um, which is obviously a, a terrible, horrible thing. Um, This next one here, um, it says, we sang happy birthday to him. What a terrible thing to do for a kid. Um, uh, I like this one a lot. Um, There's this kid, and obviously you can tell he's quite upset because he couldn't find the red balloon we had asked him to throw to him. 
Um, and this last one is my personal favorite that I found. It said this, this kid was really upset um, with his corn dog because there was a hot dog, oh, there was a hot dog hidden in his cornbread. Um, and uh, just uh, what, a, what a terrible, a terrible thing it was. Uh, kids are, are known for, for throwing tantrums, for, for throwing fits. If you've been in the grocery store at any point in time, at some point in time, you will hear a kid throwing a fit. And, and then the parent is faced with this awful thing. Do I give in and, and let the kid have what he wants and he's quiet, all right? Or do I not give in and the fit just continue and continue and continue? Uh, kids throw tantrums. That's part of, of what it is um, th that kids do. And, and sometimes this continues to go. I don't know if you heard all the attitude that Jonah brought with him to God, but, but there was a lot of it. And as we were talking about this as a, as a staff, we were talking about how in some ways, like, you know, this, this is, Jonah sort of sounds like a, a petulant child right, or an ungrateful teenager, or maybe even like an entitled uh, adult. And so um, let me sort of update you to the story of Jonah and what we've talked about the past few weeks. One of the great things about our services being live streamed now is that if you ever miss one, you can go back and just sort of watch and see um, where, where we were. And so um, we've sort of taken this journey alongside Jonah. So in chapter one, God tells Jonah to, to go to the city of Nineveh. But instead of doing what God wants him to do, um, Jonah runs the opposite direction and he goes towards the city of, of Tarshish and he gets on a boat headed that that way, but God sends a storm, and eventually it's decided to throw Jonah overboard. And so they throw Jonah overboard, but God saves his life as he's descending into the sea by sending a great fish who swallows him up. And he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And while he's there, he's thankful that out of the low moment of his life that God saved him, and he does decide to begin to do what God would want him to do, the bare minimum of what God would want him to do. And so after he is, finds himself on dry land, in Jonah chapter 3, we hear the story of, of Jonah going to Nineveh, and he goes into this great city. It tells us here 120,000 people. And while he's there, he, he, he proclaims that in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overturned. And everybody believes God. And, and from the king all the way down, everybody repents. And they take this message from God seriously. And God relents the overthrowing of Nineveh. And the city is in itself transformed. And so this is where we find Jonah in our story. Is right after he's seeing the, the Ninevites returning to God and repenting and believing in God's goodness and in his mercy. And so this is how Jonah responds. And so what I want to do is I just want to walk through kind of verse by verse with us today. And in verse one, we, we find this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. I mean, imagine this, right? Like you see this miracle, a whole city transforming in God's image um, and, and, and he's just angry and mad as all get out. And uh, so kids, uh, if you've got your little book or if you're at home watching, we invite you in box one. I want you to draw a picture of Jonah throwing a fit, all right? Whatever you imagine that looking like, draw a picture of Jonah throwing a fit. Because the story continues and, and he has this message um, to God and he prays. And one of the things that I appreciate about Jonah, and we see it in the Psalms as well, is that God can handle your anger. Sometimes I don't think, I think we're afraid to tell God what we really think or feel, but we can see throughout scripture that if you're angry, tell God, he's not going to 
be offended. He, he can handle your anger. Now, he may have some questions back for you, but he can handle your anger. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, in chapter one, we didn't know why he wasn't obeying God, but now he tells us, it's I don't like those Ninevites so much. I knew that you could do this, right? I almost uh, imagine this almost like, um, you know, two siblings, right? I knew you would forgive your, I knew you would forgive your daughter. I knew I think you would be okay. He's your favorite, right? Like this is almost what I hear with Jonah is this sense of sort of a sibling rivalry with him and the Ninevites. I'm like, I knew you'd be kind to them. I knew who you, I knew your character, God. I knew who you were, and I didn't want that for them. And then Jonah just turns into a whiner. I mean, this is how I imagine it to be. I don't know how God actually said it, but, but as I read these words, like, I just can't help but imagine them in the most whiny voice possible. So I'm going to give you a little whine um, as, I, as I read these words. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Have you ever heard somebody say that? You know, just kill me now. Oh, oh, it's terrible, right? This, this mercy that you have for other people is so bad, I'd rather die than to live? I mean, like, really, Jonah? Like, really? Is this, is this who you are? Is this what you want? I mean, it's, this doesn't seem to add up, Right? is that his mercy would cause, would want Jonah to die. And then, then, then the Lord comes back. And like I said, sometimes the Lord asks us questions. And I love this question. Do you do well to be angry? How's that working out for you, right? Is, is this who you want to be? Is this making you better? Is this making the world better? How's that anger helping you? Do you do well to be angry? And I think it's sometimes still a question that I think God would ask us. And maybe it's the question that that's for some of us, this is what we need to remember, all right, is, is Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? And how much in our lives does anger spur up about things we can't control or about things we don't like? Do you do well to be angry? And so Jonah, um, then he sort of goes off and, and he sort of pouts. That's how I imagine it again. So it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And I just sort of imagine him just sort of like really grumpily doing all this and just waiting because he's thinking, you know what? It's going to take a lot of work for these, you know, all these people to continue to live life God's way. Surely somebody is going to mess up and then I will get to see the destruction of Nineveh. And so I imagine him just sort of putting himself and just sitting there waiting. All right, waiting for them to get what's coming for them, waiting for their downfall. Maybe it will happen. Maybe God will relent. But instead, something Totally different happens. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
All right, so we get this new image that, that happens, Jonah sitting and this plant growing up. And so kids in box two, I want you to draw a picture of just Jonah chilling under the, the plant and just what, what would it be like, how comfortable he was, all those sorts of things. Now, there's some things in this text that are really interesting to me in this, in this verse. And, and one of them um, is like Jonah had to know that this was a miracle of God. All right, because I mean, I've never been anywhere and a plant has grown up overnight. Um, there, I don't know of a plant that can do that and provide shade overnight. And he had already seen God's miracle hand work multiple ways, right? You think about the storm, which is a miracle. You think about the, the big fish, which is a miracle. The repenting of the Ninevites, these are all miracles of God. And now he has this plant. Jonah had to know that this came from God, that this was a gift of God for him. But the crazy thing that happened was, what happened in the very end of this verse? It says this, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, I want you to take you back to, to Jonah chapter 3. Whenever Jonah went and he proclaimed a very short message that caused all the Ninevites to repent. And it said, it didn't say they believed Jonah. It said they believed God. They believed God, not just the prophet, Jonah. Now here what we see is Jonah giving thanks for the plant. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant, not because of the giver of the plant. And I think that this is something that, that happens so often with us is that we become fixated with the gift instead of the giver. Um, because I've got kids and we've gone to birthday parties over the years, it never fails at a birthday party, especially for, for younger kids, like three, four, five, six, you know, they just want to go from, from gift to gift to gift and open them up as soon as possible and be like, Ooh, this is awesome. And then the next one, Ooh, this is awesome. And every birthday party I've ever been to, there's been the mom or the dad or the grandma or somebody who would make them sort of stop or make her stop. And after each present be like, you need to tell them, thank you. All right. Look them in the eye, tell them, thank you. Thank you. Because this is what we do as, as humans is we get so fascinated with the gift that we don't focus on the giver. And we want to cultivate that in our kids. But maybe this is true of you and I. Are our eyes focused on the gifts we received instead of on the giver of the gifts? Do we become so consumed with what we have that we forget who is the giver of all that we have? And I think it's so easy. And especially Whenever something is going, isn't going our way, that we get fixed on the gift that has been removed instead of the giver who has provided so much. But then the, the story again takes another turn, and it just keeps turning in this story of Jonah. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And so here there is this plant, it's here for a day, and then God sends a worm. Now, I don't want to see the worm that can destroy a plant that size in one day, all right? But kids, I want you to draw me a picture of that worm that can kill the plant in one day. I mean, just imagine um, the, the size of this sort of thing and how intense this would be to, to have this worm that then attacks the plant and the gift that he had for a day is now gone. And then God just sort of ups the ante a little bit, all right? Let's just see what, what's going to happen here. And so the next verse says this, When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again and said, It is better for me to die than to live. 
Now, now again, now this one makes a little more sense. I mean, the sun's beating down on you. Some of you are like, Aaron, your face is red. I was out at Scissor Tail Park yesterday. Like when that sun just keeps beating down, it can, it can really do some stuff to you. So this one, I'm going to give him a little more credence for it's okay if you're like feeling just worn out and exhausted. All right. But here it is again. It's better for me to die than to live. But God asked the same question again. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And I love it because he just talks right back to God, right? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So human of Jonah, right? Yes, yes, I do. But it's that question again, is your anger worth it? Is your anger worth it? Verse 10 says this, and the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in night. You see, here he's saying, you know, like you, you spent all this time and energy and emotional effort in this plant, which you did nothing for. You didn't pay for, you didn't earn, you didn't plant, you didn't reap. It just came up overnight and then it's gone and you are angry, angry enough to die. You are so mad about this injustice. What about another injustice? And so then he says this, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah pitied the plant. God pitied Nineveh. And Mr. T pities the fool, right? And this is where we find ourselves. Because I wondered why in the world it seems like a foolish ending. Like they, they dropped out the rest of the conversation between God and Jonah. I want there to be some sort of, of resolution, but it ends with, and also much cattle. Like this is a strange ending to the book of the Bible. All right. And if they were in English class and they ended the story this way, they would not go well, right? Like, well, you need to finish it up, wrap up the story. But, but really, and I was listening to, uh, there's a, a video series called The Bible Project, and they did this great thing on Noah to kind of outline some things. And, and, and the person said, really, because the story of Jonah was never about Jonah, but it was always intended to bring up a mirror for each of us. Because the question is not posed just to Jonah, but also to each and every one of us. And should I not pity your enemies, no matter who they are? who do not know their right hand from their left. Should I not pity those who are struggling? Should I not pity those who we do not like? Because this is a story that's not just about Jonah, but it's also about us. Because in this chapter, we all have our own plant. There is something that, that we find that is really important to us, that, that, that is really in the larger scheme of things, and really even in a smaller scheme of things, is not as important. Why do we care so much about our plant that we have done nothing to earn, nothing to work with, and we forget about God's people who are struggling and hurting? Why do we care so much about these little things when there are big things happening in our world in which people are crying out and say, it's my life is 
at danger. You know, one of the most eye-opening experiences in my entire life was a few years ago, my wife and I, we went to Lebanon. And, um, and there um, we, we encountered Syrian refugees, people who were living in tents. Some of them had been living in tents for years. And, um, you know, like, there's all these things going on in, in my head. And, and when I see their life and just how everything they know, there was a guy and he showed us a, a he had a, a phone and, and he showed us a video of his house and it looked like any suburban house you'd find. Just a regular house that could have been in America or Canada. It would happen to be in Syria. And he said, this is my home. And I just left. I had to leave. I had to run. And I hope it's still there. And now he's living in a tent. And we didn't know how long he would be there. And, and, and you know, it's amazing that, you know, I'm still, even when I was talking with him, you know, there's a part of me that was thinking, like, I don't like the food here. Right? Like, that's my plant, my comfort. Like, how am I going to make it when I don't really like the food here? And this is what we do. And, and God's showing me, whoa, 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 this person is living a life that is so different than ours, but I'm worried about my plant, my food, instead of being present and just saying, this is one of God's people who is pouring out their heart and their pain and their suffering. And yet, so often, I'm consumed with my comfort instead of their livelihood. And so when pe- are there people that are crying out now that saying, pay attention, listen, care for me. Don't worry about your plant. Worry about God's people. And sometimes those are people that we don't like anyways. And that makes it even easier. Because we all have people that we see as others or even sometimes that we see as enemies. And I think this statement is true, is we'd rather see our enemies be destroyed than redeemed. I wish this wasn't true. But I think for a lot of us, it is. We'd rather see our enemies be destroyed than we would redeemed. Now, the easiest way I can explain this is, is thinking of, of basketball and pro sports. Now, um, I loved Kevin Durant for 10 years, all right? Like probably a lot of you in this room. But then when he ruined my 4th of July, you know, because that was what he was going to do, was to ruin my 4th of July. When he said, I'm going to go to Golden State, all of a sudden, he became public enemy number one, right? And so then, you know, like anything Kevin Durant did, I just had to despise because, you know, he just ruined my life intentionally. Um, and now, of course, Kevin Durant has never done anything personal to me. He's never tweeted at me from a ghost account or anything like that, all right? That's not been what he's done to me, all right? He's never done anything intentionally to make Aaron's life worse. But I tell you what, when the Warriors won their first two championships, I was not happy at all. Because I thought he didn't deserve it, right? He doesn't deserve that championship that he might have earned in Oklahoma City. And then, you know, last year they were in the final, um, they were in the playoffs and he tore his Achilles. Now, the pastor part of me was like, I never want to see anybody get hurt. The godly part of me was like, oh, that's too bad for Kevin Durant. The human part of me and you was like, ha. He got what was coming to him, right? Some of you may be better than me, all right? But some of you are just with me, right? Now, this is what we do. Ha, she got what was coming to her. I knew she shouldn't have gossiped, and now she's in trouble, right? Ha, yeah, they're arrested. They've been doing the wrong thing, and finally they got caught. Ha, they got the media coverage they deserve. These people are coming after them. Ha, it's happening. Now, again, I wish this wasn't true of us, all right? And, and maybe, 
Maybe it's not true of you, but I think for some of us in this room, it's true for us. For some of us watching online, it's hard for us to love people that we see as our enemies. Because the truth is this, is that we want mercy for ourselves and we want justice for other people. We want mercy for ourselves. God, forgive me because you know my intentions aren't bad. You know how I've struggled. You know what environment I grew up in. You know that it's really not my fault. Or if it is, I'm going to change my ways and get better. But them, and I don't care who they are, all right? I don't care who they are. We're like, I hope they get what's coming to them. They deserve justice because of the pain they caused. And we all feel that way. And so kids, in box four, I invite you to draw a person who, when they get in trouble, you are happy about it. All right? Now, who is it that you secretly are like, yeah? Because I think this is, is true for all of us. Is really, the question is, who are our Ninevites? Who are the people who we want to be punished when God is merciful? And so I'm going I'm to ask you to do some homework. I don't normally ask you to do homework, but I'm going to ask you to do homework. All right. And this is really the, the question I want to ask is who are the kind of people? I don't want you to list all the people because for some of us that might be a long list. All right. Who are the kind of people that you are prone to judge negatively, that you are prone to view as your enemy? All right. What are their characteristics? What are their sins, all right? This sin is worse than that sin, in my opinion. What is their allegiances, all right? Who are they with that just, just drive you crazy? Who are you prone, because we're all there, and it's different people, all right, and in different ways, to judge negatively, because those are your Ninevites. And if God was merciful to them, your instant reaction would probably be like Jonah. Now, let me sort of tell you a story. I'm, I'm reading a, a book, and our staff is reading a book. It's called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's by a guy by the name of Steve Cuss. And, and in the book, he, he talks about um, just one of his own experiences of how he judged somebody. Now, his job at the time was to be a chaplain um, at, a, at a hospital. And, and he would be an emergency room chaplain. And so people would come in with terrible, terrible things. And, and he found himself being able to be compassionate to most people. But there was a, a lady who, who came in, and she was the driver of a, of a car accident in which there was two kids who didn't have their seatbelts buckled in and who had flown through the windshield of the car. And, and they were there in the emergency room. Now, now, when, now, when he heard about what had happened, he was so angry. He came from a family where safety and seatbelts were just automatic, one of the things that you automatically do. And that, and that he thought that, you know, how dare a mother not care for the safety of children? How dare she? And so whenever he heard about what was happening and, and he was supposed to go minister to her, he couldn't do it initially because he saw her as less than. He saw her as somebody who didn't deserve mercy or compassion, but somebody who deserved what they were coming to. And so thankfully, he said, Lord, I repent of this. This isn't what I want to do. It's not my job to judge. It's my job to be with and so he, he was able to sort of move past his issue. And so he's sitting next to this lady in the emergency room. And while he's sitting there, they're, they're in the emergency room and, and the television comes on. And it's the nightly news. And it talks about that accident and that, that mom, it doesn't say her name. It doesn't say the kids' names. But it talks about, you know, that there was two kids who were thrown from the back seat and they weren't wearing their seatbelts. And, um, and then later on, it, it, the very next segment was a group of, 
um, about the values of, of seatbelts. And look, I'm a big fan of seatbelts. Wear your seatbelt, be safe, put your kids in seatbelts and all their safety seats, it's worth it. But what he found out was that as that segment was being shown, all the eyes in the emergency room were scowling at that lady. And thus, because he was sitting next to her, he felt they were scowling at him. And there was judgment coming from everywhere because that's what we do. Because this woman had sinned in a way that was unacceptable. And what she needed was not judgment. I'm sure that she feels guilty every day of her life and will forever feel that way. What she needed was somebody who would sit next to her and who would be with her and who would understand that mercy is not just for some, but mercy is for all. And the question that we have to answer as Christians is, are we okay that God is more merciful than you and I will ever be? Are we okay that God is good not just to us, but to them? We want God to love us and not them, but God loves us all. He said, I am for you, not against you. And he didn't say, you, you, and you, I'm for. He said, I'm for all of y'all. That's who our God is. Because the truth is, is that we didn't deserve mercy, but God has given it to us. He has poured his mercy upon us. He is love. John 3, 16, you've heard it probably before. For God so loved the world, not my friends, not the people who look like me or think like me, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so are you okay that God is more merciful than you? And are you okay with loving your enemies and being open to what he might do? There are people in our lives who we're gonna look down on who God is going to pick up. And can we do that? And the only way that we can do that, I believe, is if we accept the fact that he's loved us in our most miserable of states. That when we were far from God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that his love and mercy is enough. And so I'm going to invite us here before we go to communion, just to have a a little bit of time of prayer. You're welcome to pray at your seat. You're welcome to, to come up and pray at the altar. And maybe there's some repenting that needs to happen that says, Lord, these kinds of people are people that I need to repent from. And that I need to love the way that you would call us to love. And so I'm going to open us in prayer. We'll have a little time of prayer and then we'll take communion together. So let us pray. So Lord, there are some people that, Lord, honestly, we don't think they deserve it. They don't deserve your mercy, your forgiveness. Don't you know the things they have done? And Lord, there are times in which We are so consumed with our plants that we miss out on your people. We get consumed with pettiness or personal things of entitlement in which we fail to hear the voice of your children who are crying out and who need mercy whose voices cry out and pierce our ears, but we're prone to put our headphones in so that we can be more comfortable. So Lord, we don't want to be these judgmental people. 
That's not who you call us to be. And so now, Lord, we bring our brokenness to you. And we just pray that during this time of prayer, you would reveal to us your heart for us and for others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. come to this time of communion to remember God's mercy and his goodness. And so I'm going to invite you, um, just as we just continue in an attitude of worship, um, if you're at home to, to get your communion elements here. If you're not, we're going to take this together. Um, and so I invite you to take the, the clear part off and, and hold the bread in your hand. Because the great thing is, is that this is a reminder that God has broken for us. I mean, this is what God did in the midst of the brokenness of the Ninevites, he entered in and sent an unlikely prophet in, and this is who God is. His body is broken for us, and his blood is shed for us. And so for any sins that, that you've committed, we invite you to repent and experience the forgiveness of sins. So if you're at home or in the room, we do invite you, uh, if you are able, to, to take this bread. And remember, this is the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. And then to take this cup and to remember his grace and to take it in and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness, the sweet taste of your goodness. Let us pray. So, Lord, we do pray for your mercy, that we would receive it so that we would give it. Lord, we don't want the mercy to stop with us. We don't want to be a mercy dam that holds all of your mercy to ourselves, but let us be a mercy river that flows through us and into the world. And God, can we trust you for things that make us angry? Can we trust you to bring redemption and healing and goodness and love? And so Lord, we continue to worship we sing and we come to the altar believing and knowing that you are merciful not only to us but to others and we want to be a part of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.